Good morning. I'm Dvara Krasniansky, and I'm really excited about Jewish women talk about midlife. For a long time, I've been coaching people in areas such as dating and life in general, and it's been humbling and really rewarding to be part of people's transformations. And more recently, as I entered midlife, and I'm doing more work with people in this wonderful and confusing stage of midlife, I started Jewish Women Talk About Life to share with you and with everybody about what is happening for us and how we can really maximize and have a wonderful time in this phase of a life. So welcome to Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. It's our place for laughing and fetching and supporting and inspiring and learning with and from each other. So today's topic is midlife. What's going on with me with Ali Begun? So good morning. Hi, Ali. I'm so excited about this topic, midlife. What's really going on with me? There's so much to unpack. There's Midlife is so big and so different for so many different people. It's like sort of when we go through adolescence, it's so different for all of us. And now I've actually seen the term middlescence, and I think it's pretty cool because it's kind of describes what's really going on is like so much, just like sort of, I like that essence part that kind of reminds us of the adolescence. Yep. So let's unpack midlife. What's really going on for us? Wonderful. It's really an honor to be with you, Devorah. I'm excited to do this tonight, today, this morning, We're depending on where you live. Well, thanks. Yeah, you're coming in from Israel. But before we even get into the topic of midlife, can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing and your journey to, from your American accent from America, and now you're in Israel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm 52. I just I had a hard time remembering for a second. So there's been a lot of incarnations, but our latest stage or chapter which god willing will be our the rest of our life chapter is that we made aliyah so our children except for one who's uh just turned 14 they are pretty much grown and flown at various stages of life some married with children some one finished the army one's finishing high school in america and we decided to follow our dreams this is really the clean, like this is the like the cleaned up version. It's it was a long time coming, but we decided to go for it and make Aliyah. And so we are a year and a half in Jerusalem. We live in the neighborhood called Remote Bet, um, just on the periphery of Jerusalem. And um, it's been an amazing experience to go through something so new, so big, so upheavaly at this stage of our lives. So so middle lessons, I'm, I'm loving that. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> so you took this middle midlife time and you really did something big, meaning that we can do some huge things at midlife. They don't have to be a, a young in our teens or in 20s to do something huge. And I'm so admire you for that. Thanks, Devora. We can do really big things. And perhaps more important, we can do very authentic things. I'm sure we'll talk about that tonight. But I think that's the clincher, even more than the size is the the authenticity of the choices that we make in midlife but we'll talk about that i'm sure so let's let's talk about that when we talk about the, the before like when we were younger so we were talking about the authenticity now of our choices when we were younger we were making choices from a different angle can we talk a little bit about the, the difference between the younger choices and the choices we make now at midlife yeah you ready? You want to put your seatbelt on? <laughs> yeah. It's a big, big question, and you cannot answer it or even begin to discuss it without acknowledging the um, enormity of our first 
months and years of life because that really is when our core beliefs get formed there is so much that we have to do to feel safe to feel accepted to feel attention is on, is on us that we're okay at a very young age and even though we're so young we have no memories of this we the beliefs the the sort of coping mechanisms that we develop when we're very very young they become the sort of ingrained in our neural pathways in the way we think and they become our core beliefs and believe it or not those core beliefs made at a time when we were incredibly young i mean we're talking super young but of course we're defenseless and we can't derive appropriate conclusions about our parents about ourselves we're children we're not cognitively fully developed and yet at that stage we really do make big um, kind of mental commitments that we keep with us and I even though we're moving into midlife I do want to say that part of midlife is really looking at the beliefs that govern and dictate all of our behavior that don't serve us anymore. It's like uh, one therapist said, it's as if you lived in a cold climate and you had a wonderful warm coat that kept you warm and allowed you to survive in the freezing cold. And then one day you were transported to the equator. You don't need that coat anymore. In fact, it could even harm you greatly. And that's the truth with, with beliefs that kept us safe a long time ago and now are very much hurting us. So the the... I would first start with looking, I mean, it's very worthwhile to understand that even if we're 45, 52, 66, in various stages of midlife, we're still, our behaviors are still being dictated by beliefs we made when we were really defenseless and could not have created a, a healthy conclusion about our surroundings. So that's how we begin. We bring those core beliefs, we bring those limiting beliefs into our, into our earlier stages. And, and that's, I think, more targeted toward the question you were asking, which is like, what is midlife? And I, I'm just gonna answer at one angle and then I'll stop and you know, go back to refer to you, defer to you. But I do wanna say that so many of those limiting beliefs that don't serve us anymore have unbelievable power over us and our behavior is so conditioned around them and we go into our 20s into our 30s very much led by beliefs that once served us and no longer do that's enormously important and the work of midlife is very much to look at the beliefs that no longer serve us like i've got to be perfect to be noticed or um, I'm only loved when I do things for other people, or I see I get lots of attention for being an incredible student, for being an achiever, or whatever it is. I get attention when I'm sick or sad. Those beliefs really have to be reinvestigated. One other component that I wanna talk about is, is pretty Jungian. Jung spoke about this at length, but this is the idea of the stage of 20s, 30s you're in what he calls the the stage of the persona and that really means you are you see yourself almost competitive competitively with other people how do i look vis-a-vis -vis you how much money am i making how do i appear in society what do people think of me do i fit in 
Am I making the right choices? And to a large degree, we're defining ourselves even externally, even in good ways, mother, wife, career woman, but they're ultimately external definitions. And they can also be very anxiety producing because it's very much about fitting in, moving forward, excelling, succeeding, making money, being accepted. What I think midlife perhaps is the most exciting kind of spin on midlife is that those things cease to be as important. You feel a slowing down. You're less interested in getting ahead. You see almost the vapid nature of comparing yourself to other people. Your children grow, the circumstances change, and all of a sudden, all the things that drove you no longer weigh as much. And at that moment, you really can go through the crisis of who am I, or you can stay in the status quo, staying in that sort of gerbil wheel of moving forward, or you can say, okay, now that the externals are less intense, it's time for me to be more authentic. It's time for me to figure out who I really am. It's time for me to move beyond some of the beliefs that have governed and dictated my behavior that hurt me, that don't no longer serve me, that create friction in my relationships, in my marriage if I'm married, in my mothering if I'm a mother, in, in the way that I relate to other people. It's time for me to go inward and really understand who am I, what are my values, what are my preferences, what means something to me, who do I really want to be, and how can I begin to live from that place. So in that way, midlife is extremely exciting. And that's just one aspect, but it's a very, very important one. And I spoke a ton, but I but those are some very critical building block pieces. Right. But when we go back to the to those times when we were doing setting up our roles setting up our life i think that we couldn't skip it we couldn't skip the part of being concerned about how we fit in i think that's all part of it i don't think that like, we can look back and regret that we got there we kind of now it helped us form who we are now and now we have got to where we are and with our years of wisdom years of seeing that it doesn't really matter what other people think and 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 people really don't think about us all that much or as much as we think they do right now they're, thinking really, about themselves. <laughs> they're thinking about themselves compared to uh, others right. now we can really start tuning into who we are and what we want and what we can contribute to the world if that's what we want to be doing in our own unique way not only what society tells us like i think some we some people refer to it as the social years as opposed to the authentic years and we're doing so much setting up our role and setting up our our place in, in the community or in society or in, at work and setting up families there's so much otherness there and not to say that we're going to get into a selfish phase not at all to say that we're getting into a selfish phase but a more authentic phase of who am i in this rest of the world that's exactly the right. The social phase. Another term I've heard for it is the accommodating phase. And you're right. People might have a visceral like, well, does that mean you go selfish in midlife? Because midlife is so attached to the word crisis, which which has selfish connotation. You know, the, the red convertible, the affair, the sort of whatever it is. But but it's absolutely not selfish. It's 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 just exactly what you said. And I would also agree with you very much that you cannot skip the first part. 
it's it's our developmental trajectory to care more about the externals to be very to be to be very socially um inclined to be very success oriented i think that we're on steroids a little bit in our society today with social media etc um we don't have to suffer as much in the social phase as we do in our 20s and 30s but i don't think we can avoid it either i think you're absolutely right and we're going to, it's going to stay with us because it's part of how we were conditioned and a little bit is part of our culture is that we're so ingrained with and meshed with other people. And I don't mean meshed in a bad way, but we're so involved with other people that there is going to be some level of responsibility to community, responsibility to family that we still have to navigate, even though as we find ourselves, it's like that balance of who am I, how can I be doing this, and at the same time having the responsibilities. You're absolutely right. I think at the same time, Midlife gives many people, not everybody, but the opportunity to ask themselves, what drove me into joining that board? What, what was I reacting? Was my decision to join that group a reaction to, to an insecure perception of myself? Or was it driven by how I can uniquely contribute to the world? I mean, it sounds a little bit like a luxury, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that one of the things that I think keep people thriving in midlife is engagement, passionate engagement in the aspects of their lives, not slipping away into sort of a numbed out, you know, kind of anesthetized slide into the older years. Like, God forbid, it's about passionate engagement, but why did I join that board? What drove me into joining this club, into this community? Is, is, is it reflective of who I truly am? Um, or is it reflective of the socialized self that had to exist, but now means a lot less? And, and now there's almost like a vacuum, like an opportunity for me to ask myself, who am I separate from that socialized self? I love Renee Brown's wording of, it's a time of unraveling. It's not a midlife crisis. It's an unraveling of what was and sort of, and then recreating, taking that as if that metaphor of the unraveling the threads and recreating it into something else that fits better now, like an old sweater that needs to be unraveled, like sort of your metaphor of the coat. But the other, and what, what can it be now? So I mean, to me, that and visual works. But to, to Brene Brown's point and you expressing it, you have to be conscious of this process. Yeah. I think part of the depression and anxiety that almost everybody is experiencing right now is because we're entering, and I'm thinking about women, let's say from mid 40s to mid 60s, just for, you know, whatever, for right. clarity. The depression and anxiety that so many feel is that they're not consciously allowing for the unraveling, or they're not consciously saying that this is this is an unraveling time. I can handle this. This is a period of redefinition. The metaphor that I like is 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 that the social self, the accommodating self, the, the the persona. It's almost like the caterpillar. It's more uniform. It's more conformist. It, it, it looks the same. It, 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 there's, a, there's a sort of uniformity or conformity to it. And then there really is a molting. There is a melting. There is sort of an unraveling, to quote Brene Brown. But if you're conscious in that experience, then the butterfly emerges, the uniqueness, the color, the passion, 
the hopefully a longer lifespan than the butterfly, but the absolute, the absolute beauty and uniqueness that comes from unraveling. But we've got to be conscious of this process. If we're not, then we'll tend to stay in the status quo of the social, the socialized self. And um, it's not enough for women. And they tend to, and that, and I think a lot of the depression that so many of us have gone through is a reflection of this is not enough. <laughs> it's not enough for me. My children have grown up. Um, my marriage might be estranged, or maybe it's not, you know, that's the, another subject really. Um, my, I might even be working, but it doesn't, the getting ahead doesn't mean as much. What's, what, what, what's next for me? If a person doesn't engage in that conscious process, then I think in that vacuum comes a certain depression that many people are very well aware of and experience very much in their lives. And to add to that, I find that some people that I mean, I work with, that they so badly want to go back to what was, and they're trying to recreate and that trying to be young and that it doesn't feel right to, to continue to be young, but that's all they know and familiar, are familiar with. And there is, of course, that marketing of young, 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 which is not even, it's just so not true. I found that the more I get into midlife, that freeing of I can be me, and now I know that people are not really so concerned about what I do. I mean, there are going to be a few yentas, but I don't, but I care so much less about the yentas yeah. because I know that I'm doing something that feels true to myself. Yeah. But if I was tr still trying to be like I was before, it wouldn't feel right. And that's where that disconnect and that depression or that anxiety comes from is when you're fighting what the reality, the reality is that we are becoming a different stage, a different phase. And also, I mean, hormonally also, but that's a whole different piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole piece probably for somebody who, who specializes in it, but you're absolutely right. I do want to say about the physical, because I think it comes up a lot. Um, we are obviously losing or, you know, our, our total, um, identification with our physicality and that's exactly how it's supposed to be um definitely if you look at it from a spiritual or judaic perspective of of like a divine plan that that god creates the um aging process to wean us from identification with with like sensuality or virility or power and helps us wean ourselves from that definition to a more internal soulful definition. Who am I really? How can I truly contribute? How can I bring meaning to my life? That being said, we are wired to want to feel good and look nice. And we should never negate that. So I think the, the, the whole issue of physicality is a brilliant one. And I think that ultimately we need to always do what we can to feel good and look nice. But ultimately we need to reframe the whole aging process as a weaning from over-identification, from total identification, from the socialized self's high level of identification with beauty, virility, sensuality, the things that do diminish as as we age which is exactly how it's supposed to be so the gold like you know as we quote maimonides golden mean golden middle is we are weaning ourselves from primary identification but we still care and we still take care of ourselves our body is our vessel and we want to look nice we should never be um 
in denial of that psychic desire, that deep desire to look nice, it's just to, it's just, it, it, we need to put it in a proper amount, a proper balance. So, I mean, there's a lot to say about physicality, but I kind of feel like that's the critical point. That's a very important point is taking care of ourselves and not look, not starting to look schleppy just because, you know, because we look older, but I was talking more to the point of those who still try to dress like the, 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 the 30 or try to do things that's 30. We, we spoke a lot. I have did several talks about eating healthy and exercise and we have some more plans because there is a big part of now that we see that our body is aging to take care of it, because like you said, it's a vessel for all these wonderful things that we can do with our mind is in a fresher perspective. So mm -hmm. we do need to take care of our body. And if we didn't till now, for whatever reasons, it's a good time to start. It's never too late to start. Absolutely. But you're, you're what you said, if we stay in the socialized self's over preoccupation with comparing ourselves or like way over preoccupation with our physicality, then we will, will experience midlife in that kind of, you've probably heard of that you, that sort of dip in happiness that experts talk about because we're, we're not meant to stay there. That's Brene Brown's point, I believe. We're meant to consciously unravel in order to rebuild. And, and it's a conscious process. It's, it's actually work. It's, it's, it's a wonderful time to do therapy or coaching or, or anything that's, that, that puts a premium of value on my, my inner life. I, I remember reading um, something from John Demartini. He wrote that if you want to find your purpose, just notice how you already behave. What do you like to read? If you, you know, what do you like to learn about? What conversations are interesting to you? Where do you, where do you have a lot of energy for? What, what, not only what depletes us, but what energizes us? If we just look at how we already behave, the kind of people we're drawn to, we have massive clues in our behavior already. And those are things that I know as a coach, I, I, I do a lot of work with women to look at what, what um, they gravitate toward already, even if they're not consciously calling that my purpose. Follow the energy. Follow the energy. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Follow the energy. So that's why. That's how I call when I work with people. It's like, follow the energy. What are you putting your energy toward? What What have you? What gives you that sense of oh, I'm excited about this? It doesn't have to be something major. It could be something smaller. And not everything is the thing that you're going to end up spending most of your time, but it's it's valuable to know who you are and what inter what interests you. So that when you have time alone or not, what you can be doing and have that list instead of just like, oh my gosh, I, I have, all my kids are out of the house now. And what do I do in my evenings? What do I do? Start formulating that list of what yeah. you might be able to explore further. And not everything that you will explore is something that you're going to spend much more time on, but and that I love that opening, uh, open the horizons, finding new friends, finding new things to do so that you get more in touch with who you are. There are things that, of course, that you won't end up doing in any big way, but I think it's just interesting. It, but it's work and we're very habituated and we're very conditioned and it's very easy to watch Netflix every night. So, you know, it's uh, the, the best 
um, simple structure that I came upon for kind of getting, moving forward in an authentic way, true to yourself, is um, from the holistic psychologist, Nicole LaPera, who I really love. Um, she has a YouTube channel that's fantastic. And she has a concept called the daily promise, which is every day I make one small promise to myself. And, and the next day I make the same promise to myself. And maybe if a person sees that 30 days in a row, they're, you know, drinking a glass of water in the morning and, or they're not, you know, they're, they're waking up and stretching before they check their phone or just a small promise that is authentic and, and, and true to moving forward to who, to, to, to growing, then they're going to feel, you know what, my life, like to your point, it doesn't have to be massive change, but I am, I am, I am, I am standing for myself. I am, I am valuing my own integrity and my own growth. So I do this in my own life and I have a lot, most of my clients do it, which is just every day, a small promise, the same promise until it's become ingrained in your, um, in, in, in yourself. It's you. It just becomes you. Just one small promise, not too big, um, but big enough that it will matter to you. So it's, it's the, it's the best way that I've experienced to, to feel that I'm moving forward in my life. And I see it in my clients as well. So you're Can right. You share what some of the people have done so that you give some ideas to people who are listening. Yeah. We, yeah, they're, 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 well, I shouldn't say that they're not big. They are big, but they range from, um, one woman said every morning, I'm going to take a big glass of water for 30 days. Today I'm promising myself to take a daily uh, to take a glass of water. Why? Because I'm neutrifying myself. I'm showing that I care about myself. I'm putting my well-being first. Whatever it is, so that was one. Um, I, you know, we there's anything from from something related to food. I have a client now who's taking a 20-minute walk every day. Um, anything that matters to the person. Just one daily promise a day. And ideally just journaling. Today I did this. Why did I do it? It's showing me that I, I'm growing in this area. It's, an, it's a beautiful, manageable way to, to stand up for yourself and move forward. So let's talk to the people who have really busy schedules, whether it's for Pernessa family, and they want to do this exploration. And you, when we keep talking about that, it's work. So what might they do or how might they get started in addition to this daily promise, which could be a bigger or small thing. So let's say start small and then start bigger. What else can they be doing and for some people who are tired of the work that they're doing, but they have that, they have that pranasa need or that family need. So this is big conversations, but what can we say on one foot? Are you talking about like, are you kidding? I have, I, I'm stuck in this job. I have so much financial stress. I have A, B, and C. Yeah, which is a ton of people and it's very commonly experienced. The I think if I had to choose one word to describe the potential and possibility of midlife, I would I would call it authenticity. I really, really would. That for everybody, no matter how busy they are, 
if if something matters to you, you find time to um, to prioritize it in your life, whether it's a podcast or whether it's joining a Facebook group or whether it's hiring a coach or doing therapeutic work. The idea, again, that I'm consciously moving into a more authentic period of my life. I, if I stay the same, I will suffer because I'm changing. You, 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 you started the podcast by talking about adolescence. It's true. An adolescent is not a child and they're not an adult. A person in midlife isn't young anymore, but they're not old. They are somewhere in the middle. And so no matter who you are, no matter how busy you are, there are ways to prioritize consciousness and authenticity. Um, and today, like, thank God, one of the great things about technology is that there's so much that's available in the form of podcasts or whatever it is. Um, and, but it begins with a person understanding, oh, this is actually a developmental period. This is actually a developmental period. So I can't, it's, I can't just, I can't just stay status quo, but I don't have time. I don't have money. There's free things on the internet. There, there's always, there's always time to watch your favorite show on Netflix. So there's always time to, to do this work and we must, or um, in the, in the vacuum of not doing it, we might experience great crisis. I think that's about priority management, not only time management, like you said, it's like, we can, where can I find 15 minutes or where can I find some time to talk to somebody, have a good conversation just to like talk it through and or journal. Journaling yeah. is another thing. Even if it's talking when you're driving in the car and talking to your phone, just to hear your, hear your own thoughts, there are creative ways. And maybe we can talk about it in the group of in the Facebook group of creative ways to actually get in tune with the authentic me. And there's, there are, it doesn't have to be major changes for some people. They really don't like their work and they really want something major and change. And that may take some more schooling or letting go of what was and like a deep faith of, or some betachon or whatever it is that, they, but not everything has to be so big. And maybe if you do like this daily prompts, I love the idea. And I want to find out more what you were talking about her work. But the idea of something small and see myself moving along and then I can take something bigger and move along and just, it's not an overnight thing. It's not an overnight thing. I would only add that um, not to diminish the importance of, com of like-minded community. If you, it can be so lonely out there. So the kind of work that you're doing, like doing these, like, like giving women this opportunity, or I spoke about Nicole LaPera, who's the holistic psychologist. She has a Facebook group that is just, it's just, you're just, you're just, all of a sudden you go from experiencing life in a, in a very lonely way, in a very, in a very um, fragmented way, which is loneliness is as painful as any physical pain. So it, it's very real. And, and, and people are very, very lonely, even when they have people around them. So finding a, uh, a community, even if it's, if it's an online community, uh, sometimes that's the best way to do it. It's 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 extremely important psychologically, emotionally. And what I found for myself and also the people that I work with is that vulnerability kicks in a little bit better at this age. 
that people may be trying to keep up a pretense before, but now we realize that the pretense is not really helping us. And so maybe push ourselves a little bit with that vulnerability that start, but really start sharing what's really going on for us. And it's amazing how helpful people want to be and how very, very little people look down at other people who are having problems. I, or not at all. Most people are very impressed at first that you trust them with their information. Most people are not Yentas. I mean, of course, don't go to the Yenta, but most people in your smaller circle really are impressed that you trust them and they really do want to help. And they actually, studies have found, I found it fascinating, the studies have found that people admire and think more highly of people who actually are vulnerable and are willing to share what's going on with them. Yeah. And I think that whether it's privately, if you want to at first start hide behind anonymous and like a Facebook group, but eventually you'll feel even better being able to talk about it in your own name. Absolutely. That you're really, you're the, the, the sort of the, the, discomfort with being vulnerable or the uh, facade of perfectionism is really uh, one of the very difficult parts of the socialized self. So when you're moving into that authentic self, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You want to share. It, it, it's, it's human to human connection. It's so much more rewarding. It's so funny. The very thing that people, not so funny, it's pretty tragic, that the very thing people feel they have to be in order to be accepted perfect is the very thing that separates you from another person it, 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 it it's it's quite ironic uh, sometimes when i i'm not a perfectionist that's not one of my things but sometimes i'll if i'm working with a perfectionist i'll say let me just ask you something do you like being with perfectionists with perfect people oh i cannot stand it i can't stand the way i feel when i'm with perfect people or people that try to be perfect and so, and then they all of a sudden realize, oh my gosh, that thing that I feel I must be in order to get acceptance, recognition, love is the very thing that separates me from people, that keeps me in a state of anxiety and anxious fields with other people. So you're right. It's authenticity and vulnerability go hand in hand very, very much. And also that I think that the, at this age, sometimes with the major, majorness and with the hormones, the tears come too, and that's okay. People really don't look down at you for, for tearing. And I just, yeah. again, I still find that the more real we are, the easier it is for people to be with us until we, unless, okay, unless we really dump a lot on strangers. Yeah. But people who are in your circle of caring really do care. Right, right, right. There's oversharing. Brene Brown talks a lot about that, the line between healthy vulnerability and like do emotional dumping, I think is the term she uses. So people don't want to be the one that you dump on, but, and they also don't want to hold, they're, they're going to hold your stuff, but you shouldn't be, if it's something that's so big that you don't want someone else to hold it with you, then it's something that you should somehow figure out how to not hold it yourself, whether it's working with a professional or one or two or three friends, or even journaling, getting it out of your head and getting it out of your heart onto paper so that you're not holding it by yourself. But really, I find this is an age where well, it may be hard to make new friends at the same time when you have those new friends or you have those friends, it makes everything so much easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. So that it's, don't hold it yourself. Like it's really, and the other thing I find so fascinating with this age is that 
that in, in times of past, people call them the elders as they got older and, they, and people looked up to the elders and there was a real reason for it because the elders have such crystallized wisdom, years of experience. So I think that tapping into it for ourselves and tapping into it for our family and, and for our community and for the, our circle of tapping into our own wisdom can be really exciting. And I mean, maybe a little bit of how to share it and not to be like the know-it-all, but that we have that wisdom and that we got to the stage of years of experience and years of mistakes and lots of mistakes. And we came out of it alive and smiling and much wiser for it that we could, we can share it. And if we just set ourselves up in a way to, to share it in a way that's mm -hmm. going to be able to be received, I think that's also very powerful. Very powerful. And ironically, is there anything more beautiful than that? If we're talking about beauty, I mean, is there anything more beautiful than arriving at that stage? But I, I started with something that seemed a little bit off subject, but I really feel it's integral to wisdom. And I kind of feel like it's the purpose of life, although it's a little bit like presumptuous to assume I know the purpose of life. But the idea that we, we come into this world whole with this uniqueness and a purpose that we're meant to fulfill but in order to get the love and attention that we need we 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 take on certain practices certain be which become beliefs which are which are repeated and wind up being our core beliefs so i think one of the ways we become wise when we get when we do get older is to, and I think that if a woman can do this, she should do this, which is, which is to start looking at what she's believing, to start looking at what the beliefs, the limiting beliefs, the negative core beliefs that, that are informing and guiding her, what she does, what she doesn't do, how she reacts, how she turns inward, whatever it is, and really say, what are those beliefs? I don't have to live like this anymore. I, I can be driven and guided by a totally different belief. And that work is to, to really bring a, a, a true belief as your guiding principle, that you are worthy, that you are capable, you are smart enough, you are good enough, you are whole enough, you can share with the world when we truly almost re-embrace beliefs that are authentic to who we really are before our socialization, before we were negatively conditioned, then we're going to bring a whole different self to our later years. And that's wisdom. And that's kind of the point of life that we return ourselves, you know, until our, the end of our days, to, we become actualized who we're meant to be. It's, 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 it's very, it's incredibly meaningful, but it sounds really theoretical unless you do this work. But this, this is the work that, that the consciousness, the awareness that we all each in our own way can achieve. I think that's what midlife kind of does. It kind of forces us. We weren't doing it so much before. And all these changes, whether it's, whether it's physiological and also our roles and our priorities, it's kind of forcing us to do that because if we won't do it on our own. So everything's, here, everything's forcing us. Everything's forcing us to become more soulful, less living by rote, less mindless, 
everything's forcing us. You lose someone you love. You, your children move away. You get a diagnosis. You hear your, your, you lose your parents. You, 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 the fragility of life is all there to wean us away from that socialized um state that we do need to be in to your original point there's we, we need that stage of life but and then and and move into a a almost more authentically healthy phase of life but like you said it, you get pushed all the time you have this loss you lose this job because a younger person you know, basically edged you out you 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 lose someone you love you get a diagnosis all of these things propel us into, oh, the sort of invincible socialized self is not my main identity. And I also find it interesting that the world needs, needs people of all the different stages and phases. And the world needs people who are acting from wisdom and authenticity. And maybe sometimes we have to figure out how we're going to bring ourselves because we're so conditioned from our younger years of like power and to bring it through power. But there's other in, other ways to bring our wisdom without forcing it, but being the wise one on the side, perhaps, and bringing that information, and whether it's to our family or to our work or whatever it is. And I think what I'm also finding fascinating is that the world is very slowly, but slowly, starting to appreciate again the the, the wisdom of the elders. So there was there was a good 60, 70, 80, and maybe 100 years already that. They were pushing out some of um, people as they were getting older, but now they're starting to really appreciate what older people, the crystallized wisdom that people have, the experience they have. They may not have the technology experience, but they have people experience. They have the systems of the world experience and some make, companies are appreciating it. Younger yes. people are appreciating it. People are appreciating the memories that people are bringing. So there's really a real role. We just have to, because it's uncharted in our generation, I think it makes it a little bit harder. Yeah, it's pretty uncharted. I, 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 I love what you're saying. And I think one, uh, I, I love, uh, I think her name is Barbara Haggerty. She wrote a book on midlife and she has three, she has three, um, kind of commitments that, a, for a woman to live her best life in midlife, these three commitments are, are, are like what she, what she, in order to, go into life into your older years wise and bringing something to the world radiating a certain energy that people say oh we need this society needs this so i hope i can remember them but this is these are barbara haggerty's three points and i love them the first one she says is stay engaged i i brought that up before but if you're married give marriage the time and energy and cultivation and work it deserves. If you have children enjoy, or grandchildren, enjoy the moments, um, give it all you've got to the degree that is healthy for the dynamic between you and that child. If you are, if you join something, join it wholeheartedly enjoy enjoy your role at work but engage in all aspects of your life that's that's number one um number two is um number uh hold on, let me just remember them um because they're really really important oh number two is watch your thinking 
I thought that that was very, very interesting. And I do this a lot in my coaching. I think a lot of coaches do this, which is understand that your thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings create what you will do or won't do or how you react. And that creates your results. So if you believe, oh, of course he said that to me because nobody ever listens to me. I'm, I've never noticed, right? Then you're going to feel very small and sad and withdrawn. And that's going to lead you to not get out there and try to make friends, which are going to lead, which is going to lead you to feeling lonely. So watch your thinking. It begins with a belief. No one sees me. Nobody's interested in me. So bar, uh, so, so Haggerty's emphasis is stay on top of your thinking. And the last one is choose wherever you can choose meaning, meaning and purpose over success and the pursuit of happiness. So for example, if you're blessed to have a grandchild, enjoy the moment that you're sitting with them instead of figuring out what's next. It, 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 grab meaning and grab purpose wherever you can. So, so those are her three points. Watch your mind. In, watch your thinking. The power of think. It all comes down to the quality of our thoughts. And also stay engaged in life. And, and the last one, which we talked, we just talked about. So, so those, those are just her three ways to stay powerful and growing in midlife. I love the point of, uh, watch your thinking and that, 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 that model of it's your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, which get you the results. And you can just check in. If I got some certain results, well, what did I do? Well, what was I thinking? What were my thoughts? That's exactly right. You got it. It's actually from Brooke Castillo. I, th I hope I'm pronouncing her. Maybe it's Castillo. Yeah. Her last name is C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O. And she has something called the model. It's called C-T-F-A-R. C stands for circumstance. Circumstances never make us feel a certain way right? You call your friend, let's say you text your friend three times and she doesn't respond to you. I texted three times. I did not receive a response. That's a fact, right? Facts don't make us feel anything. It's the thought we give to the fact or the interpretation or the meaning that we give to the fact that creates our emotional experience. So C stands for, um, C stands for circumstance. Something just happens. It's factual, right? I've texted three times. I have not heard from so-and-so. Then what? The thought, she doesn't care about me. No one, no one notices me. The feeling, uh, I, so small, so tiny, so unimportant, so hurt, so bad in the stomach, such a yucky feeling, right? Which leads to the action or the non-action. I just, go into my room with a glass of wine and Netflix and whatever. And the, and the result is I, I have no connection with her, right? So you could, at any point, you could say, have the same circumstance, wrote three times, didn't hear from her, okay? If you're watching your thoughts, as Barbara Haggerty and Brooke Castillo talk about, if you recognize that your only power lies in your thoughts, you could say, well, I almost went down a road of I'm worthless. I'm not worthy enough. 
I'm going to stop myself and say she must be really busy, which makes me feel neutral, which makes me write her a fourth time. Hello, I haven't heard from you, which probably makes her write back. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You cannot believe how crazy work was. The result that I still have a connection with her. So that's just a simple one, but it's a, it's called the, I think it's called the model. CTFA. It's the thought model. The thought model. And I love oh, it. I love working with it. It's fantastic. You can insert it anywhere. I want to be happy. What do I have to think to be happy? Or I want these results. What do I have to do to have, what do I have to um, do to have those results? What do I have to think to do that? You can insert it at any point. But Barbara Haggerty's three points are, are I, I, I just, I always remember them. I really, really always remember them which is stay engaged, seek meaning and purpose over anything else, and watch your thoughts. And also to that point is like, it just uh, when someone doesn't answer your text, for example, what I'd like to do is like, what are, what are th three possibles that are going on? And so as soon as they have three possibles, you can't really tell myself and whoever that I can't know. So why I, can't, I shouldn't respond necessarily in any one way rather just be curious about what's going on because it could be that she didn't receive them could be that she doesn't have wi-fi it could be i mean you know it could be really so many different things that the assumption that i know what is going on is just to my detriment to kind of know what's going on but i also find i make the assumption because I think Brooke Castillo under, underestimates the power of belief. She calls thoughts vibrations in the brain or something like that. I, I don't agree with that. I think that our negative thoughts are deeply, deeply ingrained in us. They come from deeply held core beliefs that about our worthiness or lack of worthiness. And, and they, they're immediate triggered responses to circumstances. So sometimes we have to do, and I'm sure you do this work with people, I do too, which is you've got to really do work on the on, on what's tripping us up again and again. What are we committed to? What are we believing about ourselves? I, the way I like to start with a lot of clients, I learned it from my coach, Hannah Mason, who learned it really from um, uh, Byron Katie. And, and it's basically, you, you start, you, you ask a woman or a person to just start talking about what's going on for her. And she talks and she kind of just, she gets it all on the table. And while she's talking, I write what I'm hearing her say, what belief, not the facts, but the beliefs, you know, and any, any negative beliefs that I'm hearing from her. And I also add some of my own that I extrapolate from what she's saying you know, th th between the lines, not the facts, but anything that's belief. And then I'm, and then I tell her, I'm going to read you back the list. And I want you to choose the one that feels the most true and the most painful. And that's where the work begins. I, I read to her back all the things that she said and the things that I extrapolated from her words. And then she'll usually say, well, that one, that one's the one, that's the belief that's hurting me the most and feels the most true. And that's where the work begins. That's where our work will begin. Which is Byron Katie's the work, but that's... Yeah. yeah. And that's a whole other conversation, I think. That's awesome. it's, it, it, Yeah, because I think like, yeah. it's, it's such a powerful tool. But I, I really can use lots of examples with it. We're actually having Hannah Mason come on in a few weeks, so I'm really excited. Good. Yeah, so good. maybe Hannah will yeah. do that. Yeah. 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 There's, there's so much to... 
do the work with you. There's no, she's probably one of the people like out there in the world who, who does the work like just incredibly powerfully. She's my coach and she's my neighbor, not, not, not next door neighbor, but she lives in Jerusalem and she's wonderful. And she, I, I, I actually bumped into her book at Pomeranz bookstore. And that's how I started learning about Byron Katie, which led me to Brooke Castillo and, you know, and so on and so forth. There's a there there are a lot of good tools and that's why I like either you can do it yourself or and or with a friend. Yes. I think that's powerful to do it with somebody, whether it's with a friend. Some people can do it with their spouse, uh, some not, uh, or coach, therapist, whatever. But to do it on your own is good. To do it with somebody else is so much better. Uh, so I think that there's power in meeting with anybody. That whether it's a cup of co uh, cup of coffee or two cups of coffee, not more. Yeah. Yeah. Or two, two sittings of coffee, not two cups of coffee <laughs> at the same time, but really try to work through it because there's yeah. so much going on in midlife. There's the responsibilities that were that sometimes we don't have anymore, like, like taking the carpool. I mean, we may carpool the grandkids once in a while if that works out, but we're not as responsible for the carpooling as it once was. We also lose our opportunity for parenting those young kids. And parenting is different today. So it may, for some people, that's a very, it's challenging to watch how their children are parenting. And some people are in awe of how their children are parenting and wish that we, that was more available to us or those information were available to us of how our kids are parenting today. But there's, in short, what we there's so much happening that's so different and it's uncharted. So that's why it's not something we can just say, oh, this is what my mother did. And so that's the how, oh, kind of how I'm going to do it. Or my neighbor or my friend or my sister or my older sister-in-law. It's right. so individual, even more so, I think, than adolescents. Because there's so many, this 40, 50 years of what happened to us in our experiences and all the beliefs. Point. That's a really, really good point. I've never thought about it like that. You're absolutely right. And just to add to that, we don't... We're, we're pain avoidant and we don't like to think about getting very old and dying. However, we really have to know that the way we're living in our 50s and early 60s is setting the um, trajectory for our older years. So, so really consciously um, challenging yourself. Like, like I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my husband and I, when we moved here, we joined Ulpan, which is, uh, you know, Hebrew study. So like we're learning a new we're modern Hebrew study. So we're at three days a week we go and we're learning a new language. The main reason we're doing it is because we don't want to be stupid, annoying Americans who don't speak Hebrew in the land of Israel. But the second reason is because we recognize that doing something like learning a new language, literally it, it, it's a different part of your brain. These are healthy decisions doing to going, going out of your way to do something that's not neurotypical, that's not typical for the way you normally behave. Those kind of things also set the stage for a healthier brain and uh and a more robust older years, which we tend to want to not, not want to think about. But I think it's important that we do because the way we act now really does sow the seeds for what to the degree that we can plan and know, which is only limited, of, of what we can expect when we're older. I love so, that you're going to Old Pond three days a week. And I'm definitely meeting some oh, new people. 
<laughs> oh, I meet people from France and Ukraine and Russia and Argentina and uh, every place on the globe. It's it's Finland and you know, it's it's remarkable. It's it's really it's like and we're like kids back in university. So those those things are I mean they're 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 very good for the brain for brain health, so emotional health, but they also set the stage for older years. And so it's quite important that we we like that we act outside of our comfort zone consciously, at least in some area of our lives. I love that they're going out of the box, but also one, I'm just wondering that if the idea that we're willing to learn and to put at, at this old at this age will kind of help us in the future when we're going to have to learn new things, whether as the body changes and uh, or new people or just new circumstances. Like if we're so stuck then it may be even harder as new circumstances are happening at us. I mean, hopefully everyone will be very healthy all the way, but for some, like learning how to work with a walker, you know, many, many years into the future, but the idea that we're okay with new changes so and if okay you with do, learning. If you do one of the three principles, be actively engaged, choose meaning and purpose, and watch your thoughts. If you take the thought watching, the Brooke Castillo work, the, the uh, Byron Katie work, if you if you take that very seriously, then when you when you have more setbacks, it's true. Your natural resilience, your natural ability to um, observe yourself, not to get so sunk in something, but to say, okay, I'm. There's a big difference between I'm really feeling anxious right now and just being lost in anxiety. So the more you, the more you, you really work. And trust that that your freedom lies in your thoughts, in 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 your ability to really choose your thoughts and understand that your thoughts create your results in the long term. Those are incredible tools to develop when you're 48, because one day you won't be 48 anymore. It's going it's going to yield fruit until throughout the entirety of your life. But it, it just does, it just also, just like nutrition and exercise, it's good to know that like, oh, the more flexible and willing to think in new ways I am now will set the tone and sow the seeds for getting older. And by the way, stuck is something I see in 20-year-olds. I see it in 40-year-olds. I see it in 60-year-olds. I see it in 90-year-olds. I have women and men in my Ulpan who are in their 80s and they are so fantastic and they made Aliyah and they're learning a new language. It, it's just, they are choosing not to live stuck, but I've met 40 year olds who are just repeating the status quo, not because they want to, but because they don't understand that they, they have that choice. So I'm not sure stuck belongs to any specific age group. Oh, it definitely doesn't. We see that yeah. all over the place. Yeah. But midlife is a place where people start really noticing stuck before, maybe before they didn't have as much time luxury to actually yeah. notice that something is off. They were just really so busy. And midlife sometimes gives us the opportunity or gives us that not gentle nudge to actually do something different. Right. Either the opportunity or life events push you into the recognition that it's time to do something different. I agree with you. And for a whole other conversation is when you notice and how it can be helpful to your friend, but I would love that as a separate conversation because we're going through this together, but our, we each do it differently. So I'm, I'm looking forward to find someone else to talk about it. Or just have a 
you know, fireside chat with somebody about how to be the friend of someone in their midlife. Cause, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, such a conversation. Yeah, it's a great conversation. It's a wonderful conversation. It's just good to get this conversation going. A lot of people, I mean, we didn't talk about this, but it's kind of the elephant, which is like people, I remember when I started going into uh, coaching for women in midlife, it was like a flop because people don't like the term. A, it's associated with crisis, but B, on a psychological level, it's associated with decline. It, I'm, I don't I'm, so. It's, I don't either. But societally, it, it, I don't, I'm not middle-aged. I'm still like working out every day. Yeah, I did get that a lot when I, when people saw for the Facebook group, they have to answer. It was like, me, midlife? Me, midlife? No, I don't think it is either. But society does. So people are, are or, or, oh, midlife crisis it's like the it's like coupled in people's brains that those two things go together um so we kind of have to get the convert like what you're doing so beautifully and so powerfully we've got to get the conversation going because there's a lot we need to achieve in this stage there's a lot spiritually we need to achieve in this stage we are meant to live uh, this is of course most poignantly delivered to us through the story of Abraham, when the angels say, Abraham, Abraham. And we learn why, why twice? Why do they say it twice? And the say, and our commentators tell us because the Abraham in this world, the Abraham below, the Abraham that existed in this world was so actualized that he was the same as the ideal sort of spiritual Abraham above. And that's the meaning of our lives that we enter into this world perfect, we get confused, we get hurt, we get challenged, we, we, we fall for false beliefs, and the whole purpose of our lives is to realize where we got stuck, believe true, our true divine potential, and act on it with love for ourselves and for other people. So that, that is it. We are meant to be able to say, Devora, Devora, that you can't do that when you're when you're only in the socialized cell. You this is all a process, and that's the aging process. Yes, we gotta look good. We wanna look good. We wanna be healthy, but we are not meant to identify to the same degree with our careers, even with our mothering, that there's an essential self, that it's time to dive into and uncover and bring to the world. And that's why we get the messages, the news from the doctor, the loss, the losing of one's, you know, the, the diminishing of one's identity as a busy mom, all those messages designed for us to actualize our deepest selves and bring that with love to the world. Thank you. So that's like a nice wrap up. So thank you, Allie. How can people reach you? Oh, they can reach me through edenlifecoaching.org and my email is coachingwitheden at gmail.com. I would only end by saying if all of this sounds a little bit like lofty and theoretical or unapproachable, start with the daily promise. One small thing that you say, today I promise myself I'm going to, and then tomorrow, do it again. And then tomorrow, do it again. And if you don't do it one day, if you, if you sabotage it or if you forget it or if you don't do it, 
pick yourself up and just start again but you start to see like almost an integrity a showing up for yourself um a returning to yourself and success breeds success and it's a wonderful place to start that um daily that daily promise is from nicole lapera who i also recommend highly it's called she's the holistic psychologist also very worth checking out all right thank you so much ali and if anyone wants to reach me you can reach me Deborah krasniansky at jewishmidlife at gmail.com and thank you all have a wonderful day evening or wherever you are so thank you so much ali Thank you, Devorah, and thank you for um, really, really getting this conversation on the table. It's so valuable and so important to the lives of women. So, Kala Kavod, you should have tremendous success. You too, you too. Thank you. Take care.